Gideon Lack was hanging out by the Sea of Galilee in Israel with some family friends. They had a newborn baby, about five or six months old with eczema, and they were feeding this infant when he noticed something unusual. Suddenly I saw them feeding this baby a snack that I'd never heard of or seen or tasted before. And I tasted it, it was quite pleasant. I distinctly detected the taste of peanut butter. He couldn't believe it. You see, Gideon is a pediatric allergist. And if there's one thing that he knows parents are cautious about, it's feeding peanuts to their young children, but not in Israel. And they told me about this snack and told me that every Israeli baby feeds this very early on in the first six months or so of life. And it was called Bamba. And that really was quite a remarkable moment. It's so popular in Israel that people say Bamba is a common first word for a baby. For Gideon, this was all further proof of something he'd been thinking about a lot lately. In fact, he had just been lecturing about this in Tel Aviv right before his seaside visit. I asked the audience of about 200 pediatricians or allergists, how many of you have seen a case of peanut allergy? And only two or three people made a show of hands, whereas in the uh, UK, virtually every person in the audience would have put up their hand. The whole trip was illuminating. With this newfound knowledge and this peanut snack, Gideon went back to the UK, and he fundamentally changed the way the pediatric community thinks about food allergy prevention. This is Body Unboxed, and I'm your host, Anahat O'Connor. I'm a journalist who writes for the Washington Post's well-being section. So much of my work is about helping people lead healthy lives. But when it comes to nutrition, it can be really hard to know what to believe. It seems like every other week there's a confusing new headline. So on every episode of Body Unboxed, we're breaking down some of the biggest questions in nutrition with the help of certified health experts who quite literally wrote the book on nutrition. In fact, I'm here with our resident expert, Professor Joan Salji Blake. Joan, welcome. Thank you, Anahad. I am a nutrition professor at Boston University, and I also wrote the Pearson textbook, Nutrition and You. So in the next couple of days, you'll be able to hear a couple of chapters from Joan's book right here for free. So check back regularly or subscribe so you don't miss it. Dr. Joan has so many great contacts in the world of nutrition and health. She's managed to pin down some incredible guests and we're so excited to hear from them throughout the season. Well, when you work in the field as long as I have, you have built relationships with all kinds of experts who are doing really innovative work. I mean, the downside of this is you should see the birthday cards that I have to send out every year. <laughs> ah, so you're the one keeping Hallmark in business. <laughs> uh, so this week, we're starting with something that affects 32 million Americans. That's right, 32 million. We're talking about allergies. And specifically, we're focusing on food allergies and how they affect kids. If you have a food allergy or you know someone who has a food allergy, you know how exhausting this can be. It's almost a part-time job. You're checking labels. You're always asking the wait staff about what's in the food that you've ordered. It is so fascinating what we have learned about food allergies and specifically peanut allergies. Yeah, and this is an issue that is really near and dear to my heart because, Joan, as you know, I'm a father of two kids and I have a one-year-old named Isabella. She is the light of my life. And I remember when I introduced her to solid foods, I was so worried when it came to peanuts 
because I'm a big health and nutrition advocate and nuts are really good for your health. And I was so worried about introducing her to peanuts because I thought, well, what if she's allergic? You know, you hear so many stories of people having terrible reactions and ending up in the hospital. It could be deadly. So I thought, you know, what do I do? And and I decided to give her just a tiny little bit of peanut butter. And I was on pins and needles seeing how she would respond. Like I'm sitting there waiting to see if she's having re- a reaction. You know, I've got 911 on my phone ready to hit the, you know, speed dial in case something happened. It was just terrifying. And one thing I was really fascinated to learn, Dr. Joan, is that Israeli children are so much less likely to suffer from food allergies compared to children in the United States and other countries. So a lot of Israeli children are not having this experience that myself and so many other parents in America and other countries have to go through. And so, Dr. Joan, what I want to ask you is, why is that? How could that be? Why is there such a disparity? Well, first, let me just tell you, you're not alone as being a frightening parent that introduces peanut foods and worrying about this. Well, what we found out is really incredible. Research shows that delaying the introduction of peanut foods to children may be the wrong thing to do. So forever, we have been doing this, and it turns out that we have been doing it backwards. All right. So it is time for a paradigm shift. And Dr. Joan, you went right to the source. Tell us about that. Yes, I sure did. I sat down with the Dr. Gideon Lack. And maybe he's not a household name right now, but he really should be. Because he found that exposing children to peanut foods from a very young age can help prevent them from developing lifelong allergies to peanuts. This is unbelievable. Believable. And although he's from the UK, Dr. Lack actually got his start in Denver, Colorado. Who knew? <laughs> Let's get into it. I was training to be a pediatric allergist and immunologist. And uh, like all fellows at the time, I uh, went to the lab and uh, started working on a mouse model of allergies. And not being perhaps the most diligent student and being perhaps too attracted by the ski slopes of Colorado, I didn't read the literature sufficiently carefully. So I tried to make mice become allergic to ovalbumin, the major egg protein, by feeding them egg. And I wasn't getting anywhere. They weren't making any allergic antibodies until my supervisor, after a few months, told me, you know, you really ought to be more diligent and read the literature because it's been well known for decades that if you give a single high dose of a food to a very young mouse or animal rodent, it's almost impossible to make it become allergic. Mm -hmm. And I remember that that time that was odd. And I thought, well, gosh, why are we withholding foods from babies' diets to prevent them from becoming allergic. But the penny didn't really drop even partially or fully at that point. And then I started to practice pediatrics in Bristol before I moved to London. And all these parents were coming to me and saying, Dr. Lack, I don't understand what's going on. I avoided peanuts during pregnancy, breastfeeding. I didn't give any peanuts to my baby. And at the age of two, my baby tasted peanuts and reacted immediately. What did I do wrong? 
And I kept hearing that story and I was saying, well, it can't be consumption that's causing this. So this was really a slow going process until I gave a talk around that period in Israel, in Tel Aviv, when there was a perception that peanut allergy was a growing problem. They weren't seeing it in Israel. They wanted to find out more about it. I gave the talk and I asked the audience of about 200 pediatricians or allergists, how many of you have seen a case of peanut allergy? And only two or three people made a show of hands was in the UK, virtually every person in the audience would have put up their hand. And then subsequently, the Israeli pediatricians and friends and people told me, were feeding peanut products to babies, snacks containing peanut, peanut puffs from four months of age. And that's when we decided, hey, gosh, there might be a link here. Maybe we need to be introducing the foods early to protect and we formally compared the Israel and UK populations. So we took about 5,000 school children in the UK and in Israel. We selected the children to be at Jewish day schools who had similar ancestral origins to the Israeli children, so that any differences in the rate of peanut allergy between these two groups would be unlikely to be explained by genetics, but more by environment. And we found the rate of peanut allergy was tenfold higher in the UK than in the Israeli population, where it was virtually non-existent. And the majority of young Israeli infants were being fed peanuts in good quantities already very early on in the first half year or first year of life. So we showed this link between absence of peanut allergy and early peanut consumption. And that's really when we were excited and we approached the Immune Tolerance Network and uh, the NIH in the US. And that was really the genesis of the LEAP study where we investigated this more formally. First, I want to tell you, that's fabulous. Okay, so I have to ask you about this study because this is fascinating to me. I read it was like over 500 infants in this study where you gave them the peanut challenge. And was that correct? So the, the LEAP study was a randomized control study. That was right. the, because prior to that, we had shown associational correlation, but had not demonstrated causality. So to demonstrate causality, we need to do what we call a randomized control study, which correctly, as you say, involved more than 500, in fact, 640 children who were defined as high risk. And these were the babies who have eczema. Why children with eczema? Because those children are known to have the highest rate of food allergies. So we selected back to the LEAP study, 640 children with severe eczema or egg allergy, which is also a risk factor for developing peanut allergy. We selected them early on in the first year of life, specifically between four and 11 months of age, hopefully prior to them having developed peanut allergy. And we did skin testing, blood testing, and we randomized these babies into either half of them consuming peanuts and half of them not. That was done randomly, essentially through an IT system, but essentially at the principle being the toss of a coin to determine which group the child goes into. And these children ate high doses of peanut in the form of this snack that Israeli babies were eating called bamba mm -hmm. or peanut butter mm -hmm. or peanut soup. They, the, the parents had a choice and they ate, the recommended amount was about six grams of peanut protein per week, which is um, 
about two big tablespoons or six teaspoons of peanut butter per week. Well, you can go back and you can tell your whole staff and the team that you worked with that they did a bang up job of convincing parents to do that. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm 110% Italian and a mother. And if you would have got one of my babies in this study, I would have interrogated you to no end because I would have been afraid. But you must have provided the science. You read the literature because you got off the slopes. And you must have provided in such a fabulous way that you calm down these parents to allow them to feel comfortable going in the study. And kudos to you. And thank goodness you did that. So what is it by introducing the peanut products early and consistently? How does that you know work to the advantage of decreasing the peanut allergy later in life? Okay. So essentially the dual allergen hypothesis, which we came up with more than 20 years ago in the late 90s, which was based largely on this animal evidence of what happens in mice when exposed through the skin orally. The dual allergen exposure hypothesis really argues that the immune system is exposed to peanut and other food molecules in one of two ways, either through the gastrointestinal route, and that gives a signal towards tolerating the food subsequently or hopefully forever, or the skin route, Who are the people who develop eczema? Young babies in the first months of life. And these babies have a broken down skin and they're exposed to peanut, egg and milk, not only in the peanut in oils, but the peanut butter on their parents' hands and faces when they're touching them, kissing them, washing them, bathing them. And that signal of peanut molecules or egg or milk getting through the skin leads to the development of peanut allergy. Why? Let's take the following scenario. Back 10, 15 years ago, you would develop eczema at three months of life and the parents were being told, don't give peanuts to your babies, but the whole family was eating peanut butter several times a week and everyone was touching the baby. The peanut would get through the skin and the child would develop peanut allergy. So, This happens very early on, what discovered, and by the end of the first year of life, for the majority of children, it's too late. The die is cast, the game is over, they've developed peanut allergy. So if you want to get in to prevent peanut allergy through oral tolerance, which is the second half of the dual allergen exposure hypothesis, why dual? Because two roots of exposure. If you expose the child gastrointestinally to peanuts, That's a fancy way of putting if you feed them peanuts, that will protect against a signal of developing allergy through the skin. So it's a matter of root of exposure, but also it's a matter of timing. Because if you wait till after the first year of life, it's too late. The allergic signal has already been present in the skin. The allergic response is developed. And if a baby eats peanut at two years of age, it's too late. The baby will vomit the peanut or develop hives. So it's root and timing that is critical. Yeah, here we go again. Timing is everything in life. So timing that you got off the slopes, you started to to look at the literature, you got involved in this. And I have to tell you, I mean, this is a landmark study. And the fact that you did this and you reduced the incident of of peanut allergens by over 80%. Well, thank you. Um, And our fervent wish now is that it's one thing to show something, another to put it into practice as a public health policy. 
And while patients in the LEAP study and their families were hugely engaged, actually translating that and getting the community outside the study context to take this on board is more of a challenge, in fact, a greater challenge. That's what I want to ask you about, because even though this is a landmark study and fabulous and you did, you know, the gold standard controlled clinical trials, you still have a lot of pediatricians that are maybe not promoting this as well as they should be, and or parents that are still a nervous wreck to introduce these peanut foods to their children at home. So what is your take on all that? And how can we make this a little bit easier for parents to calm down? You know, there's studies on this, introduce this, it's going to be okay. There's no simple answer. The answer isn't based rooted just in science. Obviously, people need to appreciate and understand the problem. So education is critical. You are right. And we need to educate not only allergists, but primarily we need to educate pediatricians, family doctors, nurses, the whole of the healthcare profession, and most importantly, the parents themselves. So how do you get to these people and get the message across to these people in a way that makes sense to them? I I think that's feasible. I think people understand these things, but I think it's culture as well. Some people say, well, it's impossible to do this. And my answer is, no, it's not impossible because people are able to do this in Israel. They're able to do it in large parts of African countries where peanut is a staple food very early on in infancy. And peanut is a very highly nutritious food. And so long as it's part of the culture, then the baby will eat it so long as the parents are not fearful. So the issue of culture is a difficult one because I trained in a culture of food phobia. We would tell our patients, parents, you know, please take a food diary, record every food that the baby ate before any adverse event. And we've developed a bit of a food phobia. I would almost call it a food paranoia, where we are afraid of every food under the sun, be it egg, milk, peanut, wheat. And it's really getting parents to feel comfortable introducing these foods and also to have these foods in a baby-friendly way. And we believe that around four months of age, food allergens should be introduced and This needs to be done in a friendly way, not as a medicine. The parents mustn't see this as force feeding their babies or uh, giving medications to their babies, but as simply introducing natural foods. So the whole way we feed infants, I think, has to be rethought and, and changed. Currently, most products on the market, things are changing, but there have been hypoallergenic products, excluding the major allergens, to sort of protect this baby. And indeed, the old thinking was if you kept a baby in this sort of immunological cocoon, where you protected them exposure to allergens, you would prevent food allergies, and that's clearly wrong. You know, Dr. Lack, this is exactly why we wanted you to come on and do this, because we wanted to get the science out there, and we wanted to inform the parents about this and how important this really is. And you know something? I have a funny feeling, after this episode airs, that we're going to have a lot more um, parents and caregivers of little babies having more peanut but because you were said it just you're based on science and all the work that you did. So I can't thank you, Dr. Gideon Lack, for coming on here, explaining about this and how important, as you said, timing is everything in life. So thank you so, so much. 
It's a great pleasure, and thank you for um, for asking me these questions and allowing the message to get out there. We very much hope to be able to prevent peanut allergies and other food allergies as well on the same note. Well, Dr. Joan, first of all, <laughs> thank God, as Dr. Lack says, that he got off the slopes and got back into the lab because otherwise we'd still be following these outdated and, dare I say it, this harmful advice about food allergies in kids. But second of all, it's fascinating that the recommendations on food allergens for parents were essentially based on anecdotes, not on actual scientific evidence. Absolutely. And also remember, you know, nutrition is an evolving science. Yeah, it makes me wonder what other nutrition recommendations that are based on, you know, essentially anecdotes or seemingly common sense will fall once we actually do the randomized controlled trials. I guess my last question is, should we all be giving our kids these uh, peanut snacks as babies? Should hospitals be sending new parents home with the little goodie bags of, you know, infant formula samples and then these uh, <laughs> Israeli peanut snacks? Well, I think the hospital may be a tad early for the peanut snacks, <laughs> but I like the all the other goodies that you get in the bag, especially those diapers. But what we need to be doing really is, is making sure that pediatricians are really understanding this and communicating it properly to parents. And, you know, you're a very good parent, and I know you're a very good parent because you're nervous and, you, you know, <laughs> you don't, you don't want to do harm. So what has to happen is we have to truly educate the public, educate healthcare providers, educate new parents that this is really something that is low risk mm. and introducing it properly with, you know, something that you, the, the watered down or the uh, peanut butter, because these little children can't chew yet, could actually be a way to prevent peanut allergies in the future. So everybody has to calm down, take a breath, and realize the good that can come from this when introduced correctly and early enough in the child's life. Well said and very reassuring advice for our listeners and especially for uh, those of us who are, who are young parents. So, Anahad, I also wanted to chat with Sherry Coleman Collins about food allergies. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist, and Sherry deals with food allergies in children all day, every day. I mean, this is like a 24-7 job for her. In fact, this cracks me up, but her Twitter handle is, you ready for this? At Peanut RD. I mean, this woman <laughs> lives and breathes this. <laughs> she is the Peanut RD. I love it. When we look at food allergens, I think the first way people think of is peanuts. And I think about all these children that all of a sudden are allergic to peanuts. So can you explain why all of a sudden do we have all these children and have this peanut allergy? Can you explain like why this, you know, rise in this occurrence? Well, if I could answer that completely, I would be a bajillionaire <laughs> because it is definitely the question that all of the researchers are trying to understand. I think that it's it's like many conditions. It's a multifactorial, right? It's not just one thing. It's probably multiple things. I will say that for peanut, only about 2% of children have a peanut allergy. So while that is a significant number, it's it's probably lower than many people think. About 8% of children have some sort of food allergy, and peanut is one of the most common. Um, milk and eggs are also very common. So I think, you know, when we think about what causes food allergies— 
we don't really know exactly what causes them, but we know what increases the risk. So we know that children who have severe eczema or who have even moderate eczema can be, severe eczema is a pretty significant risk factor. It's probably the most common risk factor and the highest risk factor. Um, And then having a predisposition toward allergy that shows up as another allergy increases the risk of developing peanut allergy. So what I mean by that is if if someone has one food allergy, they're more likely to have more than one food allergy. Like if they have milk allergy? Yeah. All right. So the landmark study that was done in 2015 changed everything. And it basically says that if you introduce peanut butter foods early and in small amounts, it almost tricks the immune system to say, okay, don't attack us. Yeah, that's sort of one way to think about it. The other research that's been done in addition to the LEAP study have shown that even in babies who may not have severe eczema or who may not have any predisposition toward allergy, if they start eating peanut foods early too, somewhere around that six-month mark, the same you know sort of recommendations as those high-risk babies, they also are protected against peanut allergies. Right. So it's really early on and consistency. But, you know, um, I have to tell you, I know a few new moms, and they are— very uncomfortable with this. And they, you know, they're scared to do this at home with a little bit of peanut butter smoothie with the milk, breast milk, because they're scared to death that the baby is going to have a reaction. Yeah, you have hit the nail on the head for the probably the number one barrier for parents when it comes to early intro because they're afraid. And I think that, you know, I'm a mom. I get it. Even me, the peanut RD, right? I know this research better than anybody else. When I had to introduce peanut foods to my son for the first time, I was a little nervous. I thought, and this was even before the LEAP study was published. So I was like, oh, I don't know. But... The reality is that the reactions that most infants have are pretty mild. Most reactions in infancy are vomiting and hives, which is not pleasant, and nobody wants to see that, and that can be a little scary. But anaphylaxis is very rare in infancy. It it actually is a higher risk the longer you wait. So if you wait past that 12-month mark for sure, you increase the chance that if the child really has a peanut allergy, they're going to have a more severe reaction. So it's better to start early. The risk is lower and the potential benefit is much higher. You know, Sherry, this is exactly why we're doing this episode, because we want to make it less fearful, because if you miss that window of opportunity to, to, you know, slowly give them a little bit of the peanut smoothie in to get the body acclimated to, when we miss it, then we miss that opportunity. And then when you maybe feed them the peanut butter, then we have all the problems. Sherry, the allergy queen here, can you explain to us What happens in the body when a person has an allergic reaction when eating something? Sure. So any sort of an allergy, and particularly a food allergy, is the body's attempt at identifying and eliminating and offending something, right? And historically, it would be to like parasites, viruses, bacteria, that kind of thing. But when someone has an allergy, they're reacting to something that is probably not harmful. And that's what's happening with food. So the body identifies for some reason, usually a protein in a food, that the body thinks is a problem. And then it sort of 
activates the immune system, and then all kinds of things can happen. So an individual who's having a food allergy reaction can have a variety of symptoms, and almost any organ system can be involved. So so what happens here is our immune system is set up that we have a foreign invader come, like a virus or something, and we attack. And so this way, when that comes again, that we can fight it off. But in this case, in the case of just, say, peanuts, for example, they perceive the protein in the, in the peanuts to be this bad foreign invader when it's not. So it attacks it. So what are some of the reactions that a body can respond? Like, what can happen? So... Most commonly, when someone has a food allergy reaction of any type, whether it's peanut or milk or egg or any of the other top allergens or even some that are not the top allergens, reactions are usually pretty mild. And they usually start in the mouth because that's where the food is touching the body, right? So it usually starts in the mouth with some itching and swelling. Once the food is swallowed, then reactions can vary. And here's where it gets a little trickier. Some people will have only GI symptoms. So they may have nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and that might be the end of their reaction. On the other hand, some people will have more severe reactions. Many people will have hives, but not everybody will have hives, right? So that's like itching and bumps, rash on the skin. Sometimes there can be swelling in the face as well. So swelling on the mouth, the lips on the outside, and even the eyes and uh, itching and swelling of the eyes and sneezing can also be part of a reaction. So some people will have difficulty breathing, and that's particularly dangerous if an individual has asthma or some other kind of breathing condition. And then some people might even have um, cardiovascular responses, right? So someone might have a drop in blood pressure, and that can be life-threatening. And that's why one of the challenges with reactions, Joan, is that we don't know who's going to have those really severe reactions versus someone who's going to have a mild reaction until they have. And I have to tell you, I don't have uh, you know any food allergens, but I've been with people at a restaurant, and they do. And I'm telling you, they are interrogating the wait staff, and they should also do this because this is really a stressful situation for them. And tell me a little bit about that because you know this is something they got to carry with them. All along. I mean, you know, whether where they go, if they go out to dinner, even they go, even if they eating inside their homes, that they have to make sure that a product that they thought was benign in whatever food allergen they're allergic to, it now hasn't changed its ingredients. So talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So some people think of that as just an environmental response, but it can actually be a food allergy. So, you know, when we think about our lives today, right, your life and my life, we eat all the time, right? Don't we eat all the time? And now now, you know, you think about like how much of our socialization is around food. So, and then imagine that you have a food allergy and you can't necessarily see the protein in the food that might cause you to have a reaction. And so when people eat out, they're literally putting their lives in the hands of other people, right? So they're trusting that the person who's going to prepare their food and serve their food understands that they have an allergy that could be life-threatening and they have to completely avoid eating that food. They can't eat that food at all. Even a small amount of that food that you might not be able to see could cause a very severe reaction for people. So everyone who has a food allergy has to be very, very careful. And that includes asking lots of questions. And my advice to people who go out to eat is always to ask in advance. So as much as possible, call the restaurant in advance, find out what they do for allergies, ask you know, if you're going to be able to talk to the chef, ask if they're going to be able to accommodate you when you get there. Nobody wants to get to a restaurant and then feel unsafe when they get there. So it's better to know in advance either that they can accommodate you or that they can't and maybe you need to go somewhere else. 
Yeah. So can you explain what epinephrine does in in a case when someone has a reaction? Yeah. So the only approved treatment for anaphylaxis, which is what the most severe kind of reaction is called, is epinephrine. Mm -hmm. So anaphylaxis is the more rare kind of reaction, but it can happen and we never know when it's going to happen. So if somebody has a food allergy or, you know, a venom allergy for that matter, if they're allergic to bees or they're allergic to anything else that can cause anaphylaxis, they should always have their EpiPen or epinephrine auto injector. EpiPen is a specific brand but there are other brands on the market that are auto-injectable, which means the needle just kind of does its own thing once you push the button. Epinephrine. And epinephrine is adrenaline, basically. So once the medication is injected into the individual who's having a reaction, it will cause their heart rate and breathing rate to speed up, which counteracts what can happen with a food allergy reaction. Remember I mentioned that dip in blood pressure? That Mm -hmm. can be life-threatening. And so epinephrine reverses that, and it works very, very quickly. And the good news is there's no contraindication to using it. So if someone thinks they need to use it, they should use it. They should use it early. And then they should call 911 and make sure that they can go to the emergency room if they need to do that. There's a little bit of disagreement about whether or not to go to the emergency room. Some people say if there's no sign of a significant reaction after the epinephrine has been injected, there's no reason to go to the emergency room. On the other hand, if a person really has anaphylaxis and they get epinephrine, there's a chance that they might have a secondary reaction that's called biphasic. And if they don't have more epinephrine, they can't treat that second reaction. Right. Like, I mean, this is not the time to second guess things. You know, I would get in that car and go over to the ER. You know, I have to tell you that my son has asthma. As a parent, there is nothing more frightening than you are with somebody who can't breathe. There is nothing you can do. You know, if you have a problem where they have GI distress or they're vomiting or they have a temperature, you know, you can do things. But when they can't breathe, it has got to be the most frightening thing you will ever experience. You know, and that's why this is such an important topic where people really need to understand this. And when people have food allergies, why they would be nervous and why they ask so many questions. Over 30 million folks have food allergies, and many of them are adults. And, you know, a lot of this starts in childhood, but you can actually get a food allergy as an adult for the first time, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, food allergies are sort of a tricky thing. You know, I think some people used to think that once someone was diagnosed with a food allergy, they would have it forever, and that was just the way that it was, and it wasn't going to ever change. But the reality is we know now that many children who are diagnosed with a food allergy will outgrow it because the immune system is dynamic. And we know that even if someone had never had a food allergy, as an adult, they can develop a food allergy. And one good example of that is shellfish. Shellfish is actually the most common allergy among adults. Mm. And it is not uncommon for someone to eat shellfish their whole life and enjoy it and then suddenly become allergic. And we don't really know why that happens, but we know that it does happen. True IgE-mediated allergies develop even in adulthood. So really, we need to get the word out that, you know, this is something that you can get help and guidance with. And you can go to your pediatrician to get support. And what other resources are out there that people can go to to get more help and guidance? Because people want to read about it. So where can they go to get that? 
Well, I always send people to our website at preventpeanutallergies.org. You know, very easy to remember, preventpeanutallergies.org. It's a great website for parents and also for healthcare providers. So if people have, you know, if you've got a nurse or a doctor or a dietitian in your life and they need to learn more, this is a great place. But there's also really good, clear, simple information for parents, including like easy ways to introduce. So if you're not sure exactly how to do it safely, it's there on the website. If you want to see the references or you want to go back to the actual, you know, federal recommendations, you can find those there too. Well, Sherry Coleman Collins, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and boy, what great, exciting news for parents. So thank you so much. Thank you, Joan. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Joan, that conversation really cleared up a lot of confusion for me. I really enjoyed that. And I have to say, one thing I hear a lot from new parents, including a lot of friends of mine, is that, you know, they're terrified of introducing some food to their baby that could be something they're allergic to, which, you know, similar to the experience I had with my daughter, Isabella, when I was giving her, you know, a tiny little speck of peanut butter for the first time. And I had this thought, my friends have had this thought, like, what if something happens? What if, you know, she has a reaction? I got to, you know, call 911, get an ambulance here. You're worried that, you know, you might (laughs) literally kill your kid by giving them the wrong food. But one thing I found really reassuring from this conversation is that kids are unlikely to have a very severe reaction at this age. And so it was really fascinating that uh, Sherry was saying that even if your infant does turn out to be allergic to the food, it's pretty unlikely that they're going to have a life-threatening reaction. So I thought that was pretty reassuring. Right. You know, her middle name should be Sherry Calming Collins <laughs> because that's, I mean, did you get that? So calming and mm-hmm. reassuring. And that's why we really had her on this episode to give us those facts because everybody is so afraid. Oh my gosh, they're going to go into anaphylactic shock. And, you know, what am I going to do? And this is my little baby. And he's like a little piece of China there. It's going to break. Mm. No, it isn't. This baby is very resilient and this is very reassuring. And this is really, really what is important about this episode for the listener to understand the importance of this and to relax and calm down and really diligently introduce these foods to your child early on. Because really we're talking about the long game here. And the long game is that can reduce food allergies for your entire lifetime. Mm, Okay. Well, excellent advice, Joan. Thank you so much. And I just want to say one note for our listeners. Don't rush out and start feeding your kids a bunch of peanuts without talking to your doctor, especially if they have allergies, which is something that uh, Dr. Joan emphasized in her interview. Now, we've heard from a number of great experts today. And I hope you found our conversations both educational and entertaining. And remember, we're not providing you individual medical advice. So take your family's medical questions to your doctor, as Dr. Jones said, especially before starting any new diet or health routine. And for medical emergencies, be sure to contact emergency services. Thank you so much for joining us today on Body Unboxed by Pearson. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on any episodes or that bonus content we talked about free chapters from Joan's book, Nutrition and You. It's a wonderful book and a resource that I use often. We'll be back next week with another fascinating episode. You will not want to miss it, so join us next time. Body Unboxed is produced by Neon Hum Media. Our lead producer is Alexandra De Palma. The executive producer is Shara Morris. Morris.